0: Take your Bibles as we have the last few weeks and just have them ready. Uh, we are we're going to talk from the book of Proverbs today, but we'll be jumping all around. I'll be rapid fire shooting a bunch of Proverbs at you, but there's a couple we'll have you look at and we'll mention those when we get there. As we prepare for this part of our service, as one preacher is fond of saying, before we look to the word of the Lord, let's look to the Lord of the word. Father, we are thankful and we pray that you'll guide and direct us now as we Come to this last part of our service, Father, as we open your word. And, Father, it is your word. We know it. We accept that. We believe it. We trust it. Speak to us through it today, I pray. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me, Father, to preach accurately, rightly, compassionately, boldly, where need be. And protect me, Father, from saying anything I ought not. May my personal biases and and thoughts not intrude. May this just be your word today, I pray. And help us, Father, to listen, to hear, to apply, and to be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, does Proverbs teach anything about money? Does Proverbs teach anything about money? You know, money is a problem in many homes today. Many Americans are literally drowning in debt. I recently read a a report that said that the average credit card debt in America is now somewhere north of $15,000. That's the average, which means a good number of Americans are miles above that. Uh, The average is $15,000. Such problems, uh, such debt issues, can be disastrous in a home and in a family. Marriages come apart at the seams under such stress sometimes. Money is a problem in many homes today. And the Associated Press, just, just a few days ago, Uh, 2014 I read this it said more than 35% of Americans have debts and unpaid bills that have been reported to collection agencies according to a study released Tuesday these consumers fall behind on credit cards or hospital bills their mortgages auto loans or student debts pile up unpaid even past due gym membership fees or cell phone contracts can end up with a collection agency potentially hurting credit scores and job prospects roughly every third person you pass on the street is going to have debt In collections, it can tip employees, or whether or not you get that apartment, or that car, or whatever. 35% in collections. Money is a problem in many homes today. Now, we could blame this on any number of factors, couldn't we? And I could imagine that all of us have opinions as to what causes this. Some would say, well, it's the lousy economy. Some would say, well, it's the lack of good jobs. Some would say, well, the minimum wage is not high enough. Some would say there's cheap labor overseas. Some would say it's the president. And some would say it's the Congress. And we could go on and on with that, couldn't we? It is, though. Before we try to pin the blame for this on those, the usual suspects, we have to come to grips with this interesting phenomenon, and that is that some people do just fine. Some people are okay. Some people... Weather those kinds of situations. Some people have their jobs outsourced, and they're okay. Some people seem to be able to live in an economy where there are not very many jobs, and they do all right. They don't have large incomes, but they do all right. Some people seem able to live on very little bit of money. Do you know people like that? I, I know a few people like that, who seem to live on so much less than I do. And I look at them, and I scratch my head, and I say, wait a minute, they actually seem to be living as well or better than I do. How is that true? And so I think we need to modify the proposition a little bit. We've been saying money's a problem in many homes today, but let's let's say it like this money is a problem in some homes today. But it's not accurate to say that it's a problem at all. Why is that? Now we have to be clear. The front picture of your the front page of your bulletin this morning has a picture of people who really know what poverty is. There are parts of this world where there is a real thing called poverty. I'm talking about in America today, and everything that I'm saying here will apply to our definition of need, our definition of poverty, which is far different. There are people who literally have nothing. And that's not not what I'm talking about today, and that's not what I think these principles will apply to today. But even with that understood, there is this phenomenon in America where people struggle with money, where money is a problem in so many American homes today. And Christian homes are not immune. Matter of fact, if you look at statistics, it would seem that Christian—the statistics of Christians who struggle with money—is the same. Uh, some, some say less; some say more uh, than unbelievers. We're just as susceptible to these kinds of things. Well, we've been looking at proverbs, and we've been looking at proverbs with a specific focus on family matters. What has proverbs had to say to us for our homes and our families? And so. Does Proverbs have anything to say about this issue that affects so many families and affects so many homes? Uh, Is there help for families struggling with debt? Is there help for those whose income never seems sufficient? Is there wisdom that we can learn and pass on to our children so that they might have a, a good jump start on how to handle their finances later in life? Does Proverbs have anything to say about money? Well, I'd say yes. As a matter of fact, it has a lot to say about money. And I, today we're going to look at There's four principles. There's many others we could look at, the four general principles from Proverbs about money. And let's see if they help. They'll at least lay some groundwork that will help us if we deal with these issues. Number one, money comes from God. Money comes from God. That's the first principle. And I, I think that would be the key principle that we need to understand. God is the source of all things. He created all. He owns all. Everything that is comes from him. And that includes money. Money comes from God. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 22, if you want to look there. Proverbs chapter 10, and verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The blessing of the Lord. Where does money come from? Money comes from the blessing of the Lord. Many, money comes from God. Uh, the same thing is taught to us in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Money comes from God. He owns everything. And you know, it's a marvelously freeing thing when we get that, uh, that idea in our head, when we come to recognize that God owns all things. I can come to grips with every other principle in, in Scripture about money if I get that one. If I understand God owns it all. If I understand money comes from God, I can, I can, I can deal with all these other principles, and there's, there's certainly many. Conversely, I will never understand the other truths about money if I don't get this one. This, this, is, this is key. It's God's. It's all God's. Money comes from God. I think I've mentioned before that when our children were little, I did not allow The Simpsons to be seen in our home. I never watched The Simpsons myself, and I wouldn't let them do it. Some people probably think I'm crazy for that, but for some reason I I had the idea, and I still think I'm probably right, that it had no place in a Christian home. I don't know. I do recall one day that I happened to see a commercial for an upcoming episode, and I think I've told you about this before. Uh, It must have been a Thanksgiving special episode because the the scene that was showing in this commercial was of nasty little Bart being asked to pray. And his prayer went like this. Dear God, we worked for all this stuff, so thanks for nothing. And, you know, I know it's just a dumb cartoon. I know it's just silliness. I know it's meant to be funny and... And and, and we we, we might chuckle at it, but, you know, there's so much that is sadly wrong in that prayer. And what's really sad about it is that so many of us believe the same thing. In our heart of hearts, we think it's mine. God hands off. I worked for this. I go to work every day. And I earned this. And yet, we would be wrong, just as Bart is wrong Psalm 24 and verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Leviticus 25, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its fullness. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Money comes from God. It's all His. And I wonder, do you recognize that everything that you consider to be yours is in reality God's? See, such recognition is key if we're ever going to get our arms around any kind of financial problems, if we're ever going to rightly handle the money that He places in our control. Have you ever walked through the house in which you live? Notice I didn't say your house. Have you ever walked through the house in which you live? And looked at everything in there and said, this is God's. It's a good exercise. It's a good reminder every once in a while. This is God's. Parents, have you taught this truth to your kids? Do they understand that the things we enjoy in this world are gifts from God? That we're entrusted with them for a period of time. But they're his. They're his. For us to use as he sees fit. Oh, we need to teach them money comes from God. That's principle number one. Principle number two money is a means of worship. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Money is a means of worship. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. And I actually think this may well be the key verse in Proverbs related to money. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. If you mark in your Bibles, and I I encourage that practice, it's a good thing. You might want to underline this one, draw circles around it, point arrows to it, put asterisks beside it, do something. So that it stands out to you, because it is a key verse. Proverbs chapter three, verse nine: Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Honor the Lord with your possessions. Money is a means of worship. The Bible teaches us that we are to be a giving people. Here we learn that we are to give the first fruits. In other words, that means we're to give to God first. Not last. We don't give to God our leftovers. We give the very best off the top. Why? Because it's an act of worship. We don't worship with the, with the last. We worship with the first. To put it in 21st century terms that, that we would understand, that means when we get our paycheck, the very first check we write is our offering to God. Not after we've paid everything else and we, whatever's left over, we give to God. No. The first fruits. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. This is the key principle. It's a key principle. Money is a means of worship. God doesn't need our money. We just learned a minute ago that he owns it all anyway. It's all his. But we worship him with our money. Giving a portion is a means, a primary means by which we worship God. That's why every time we take an offering or we try every time to to describe it as worshiping the Lord with our tithes and with our offerings. It is an act of worship. And I wonder, do you worship God, Christian? Do you worship him? You're his morning, So, uh, on at least that level, you certainly do, and, and praise God for that. But do you worship Him with your possessions? Do you worship God with the first fruits of all your increase? Honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits. And what about your children? Do they know that a portion of every paycheck have, has to go to God? Have they been taught? Have they been taught the importance of being a giving person? Do your kids get an allowance, or do they have chores? And are they taught that a certain amount of theirs goes? To worship God. Now there's there's a lot in the Bible about the amount we should give to God. And I don't want to talk about that too much this morning. Uh, You can study that out on your own. I think the Bible indicates that a good starting point for a Christian is 10%. But uh, the Old Testament, that was the law. And the New Testament, we're under grace. And uh, I don't believe that that is a law in the New Testament. But uh, actually, I think the New Testament principle is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not so much the amount, it's just the fact that we do it. And it's an act of worship. Money is a means of worship. I was talking just this past week to one of our teenagers. And he shared with me how he had recently, he was working a job and he had just recently started tithing. And he just smiled as he said it. He didn't seem to miss the money. He was pleased that he was able to do it. And I I thought, kudos to his parents, for they are guiding him in the right way. And kudos to that teen, that he is... He's proving to us that at any age we can decide whether or not we're going to choose to, God, to follow God on, this, on these things. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Notice the promise that's associated with that. Do you see that? I am not a health and wealth gospel preacher. I do not believe that uh, that, that is a, a, an accurate way to preach the word of God. But I think sometimes because we're shying away from that heresy, we tend to forget that God does promise some things here. And he does promise that he will bless. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, and so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. God never takes anything from us that he does not multiply back to us. He is so much more giving than we could ever imagine. It's never a sacrifice. You know, I heard it said that you cannot outgive God, and I would add my testimony to that. I have come to believe that in a lifetime of uh, of trying to be faithful to this. God has blessed my family, and, and many of you would say amen to that. As we try to be faithful to giving, God blesses. I've had people say to me that they would tithe or give more, but they just simply can't afford it. And yet if this verse in Proverbs is true, they can't afford not to. It is absolutely a true thing that you will live better on the percentage that God wants you to have. Than if you hoard it all to yourself and say I'm not giving any I'm not going to worship the Lord with that portion. So if you're giving ten percent you're going to live better on the ninety percent than you would on the hundred if you held it back. Uh, I've, I've proven it in my life, and many others would say Amen to that as well. This truth is pre- repeated throughout. Proverbs, that money is a means of worship and that God will bless when we give. Proverbs 11.24, I'm just going to read a bunch of verses here. Proverbs 11.24, there is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Proverbs 11.25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Proverbs 13.7, there is one that makes himself rich yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor yet has great riches. Proverbs 22.9, nine. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Honor the Lord with your possessions, and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with milk. Do you live in that verse? Do you live in that verse? Is it a norm in your home? Do your kids see it in you? Have you taught it to them? Teach them, moms. Teach them, dads. Teach them, parents. Money is a means of worshiping God. Principle number three. As we go through these, some of you will get progressively madder. I know this. This one will make some of you mad too. But don't get mad at me. As a matter of fact, this one, I'm just going to read nothing but Proverbs. So uh, this is is from the Word of God. Money is obtained by work, not sloth. There's few things that you'll find stand out in Proverbs quite, (laughs) quite like this one. Money is obtained by work not slaw. In 21st century America, there is this alarming trend, this alarming trend where people don't work at all, but they make all of their income by handouts from the government. I've seen some statistics which seem to indicate that there are actually now, in America, more people that are making their living that way than who are working for a living. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that that system cannot sustain itself and that it will collapse eventually. But besides that, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. The principle we see in Proverbs is that those who can work should work. Work is a virtue, and sin and, 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 and sloth and laziness is a sin. And I'm not going to comment on it any further than to just say that. That's enough to make half of you mad at me. And so I'll just leave it right there. And I'm just going to read you some scripture. And let the scripture speak. Because Proverbs says this over and over and over. Listen to some of these. Jot them down if you want to go back and look at them later. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs chapter 6. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 5, he who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps in harvest is a son who causes shame. Proverbs twelve eleven: he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. But he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Proverbs twelve twenty four: the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 4, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Proverbs thirteen eleven wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Proverbs fourteen twenty-three, in all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. Proverbs nineteen fifteen, laziness casts one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs chapter twenty and verse four The lazy man will not plough because of winter he will beg during harvest and have nothing. Proverbs twenty and verse thirteen, do not love sleep. Lest you come to poverty, open your eyes, and you will be satisfied with bread. In Proverbs 28, verse 19, He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. Parents, do you teach your children the importance of work? Work. And do they see it in you? I have on many occasions asked prayer for my father, because he does not claim to be a Christian in it grieves me to think about the lost condition of his soul. But I have learned so much from my dad. And one of the things that I have learned from him is the value of work. I don't remember a time when my dad has not had a job. Some of them were pretty crummy jobs. But he's always worked up until the time when he could not. As a matter of fact, he had to be asked to retire because he just he just was not going to quit. He just was going to work and work and work. He worked. And I learned that lesson young. And I'm thankful that I did. And it has stuck with me throughout my life. Parents, you need to teach your children that money is obtained by work and not by sloth. You need to teach it doubly in our day and age when so much of America is teaching the exact opposite. Money is obtained by work and not sloth. Finally, one last thing. One last principle, we should live on the money we have rather than borrowing from others. We should live on the money we have rather than borrowing from others. In other words, debt is dangerous. Debt is dangerous. I recall the rage that I felt when the first envelope arrived at our house. And those of you who have teenage children will know just the envelope I'm talking about. When they get to a certain age, these envelopes start arriving at the house from bank after bank after bank. Just sign right here, and we'll send you a credit card in your name. Doesn't cost you a cent. We'll send you this credit card. You know those. And of course, that temptation is hard to resist. And so, whether or not you manage to get them all out of their sight, some of them manage to slip through the cracks, and all of a sudden, they've signed some and sent them in. And suddenly this shiny new credit card comes in the mail. And they rejoice in their newfound spending power. And it's a wonderful thing for them. But you know what? Soon after that, another envelope comes. And this one is not so shiny. And it seems very official. It's, it's demanding this thing called payment. And then we start hearing questions like, Wait a minute now. You mean, you mean I have to pay for this? And, and where is this money going to come from that I have to pay from this? And incredulity reigns. And then other envelopes follow with boldface type. And then boldface red font type. And then one with the words emblazoned across it that says, Final Notice. And then the phone calls. And then the shouting. And then the tears. Parents, we need to teach our children to live on the money they have rather than borrowing from <coughs> others. Debt is dangerous. It's dangerous. And of course, as with all the truths in Proverbs, they have to see this in us. If we're every place we go, we're flashing credit cards and using credit cards. They're not going to understand why they can't as well. They need they need to be taught this, and they need to see it in you. We need to have our debt under control. Your home will be happier. Your blood pressure will be lower. Your marriage will be happier. If you live on the money you have rather than borrowing from others. I'm just going to share one proverb from this because there's only one that you need to see. There's many we could look at, I suppose. But turn to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7. And if you have a pen, circle it, underline it, star it, asterisk, do whatever you have to do. Memorize this verse. Every teenager needs to memorize this verse. This is one of the most important verses in the Bible related to debt. Maybe the most important verse in the Bible related to debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is servant to the lender. Underline it. The borrower is servant to the lender. You want to be a slave? Just use other people's money. You want to be a slave? Live on debt. No. We need to be careful. We need to live on the money we have. Rather than borrowing from others. Parents, teach it to your kids. Teach it to them. Well, that's, that's all I'm going to talk about today. Does Proverbs teach anything about money? It does. It does. And there are many other things we could look at. It talks about savings. It talks about, uh, there's verses we could apply to things like insurance and investing and all those kinds of things. But I'll leave that for your personal study. The four principles we looked at are these. Money comes from God. Money is for worshiping God. Money is obtained by work and not sloth. And we should live on the money we have rather than borrowing from others. These truths matter to our families. They matter to our homes. We need to live these truth principles in our homes and we need to teach them to our children. And by God's grace and with His help, we can.